Hello, adventurers, and welcome to Season 2, Episode 6 of the World of Azuria podcast. My name is Beth Ball, and I'm the author of the Age of Azuria epic fantasy series, which we'll be exploring in this show. In some episodes, we'll be swept away into the magical world of Azuria as I read chapters from the novels and stories. In others, we'll dive into the lore behind Azuria, and I'll answer your questions about the world, characters, and more. If you enjoy epic fantasy worlds, immersive settings, nature-based magic, and vivid characters, then this podcast is for you. I know there's been a two-week gap in new episodes. We had a death in the family and spent some time out of town, but I hope to resume regular recording again starting this week. So for those of you who have been with me for a little bit, you know that in our second season, we're traveling through Buried Heroes, book one and the Age of Azuria series. Today, I'll be reading from chapter four, where we resume Elioth's story. We last saw her in chapter two as she prepared to transmigrate to Hadvar with her family, but her amulet began to hover and glow just before the transmigration began. To find out what happens next before new episodes are released every Tuesday, you can find Buried Heroes at bethballbooks.com shop or at your favorite book retailer. And I'm really excited to share that Buried Heroes is now available for free. So let's start our adventure. Freezing wind and hard, icy snow struck Elliot's exposed face and neck. She cried out in surprise, clutching her still-warm necklace to her chest, looking for something familiar in the surrounding blizzard. They had clearly missed their target location, arriving somewhere in the wilds beyond the splendid Haverian palace rather than safely inside. She wrapped her arms around herself and yelled for her mother, wanting to assure her that she was nearby. As Elliot stepped forward, she felt the ground shift beneath her foot and threw herself backward. The ledge of snow she had been standing on gave way, tumbling out of sight into the swirling white below. She gasped as snow reached her skin through a gap in her leathers at the base of her spine. Elioth backed a few paces away from the cliff and pushed damp strands of hair out of her face. If she could only find a landmark she recognized, she could get her bearings. The wind's insistent howl drowned out all other sounds, which had never happened on any of her previous trips to the sprawling northern city. Between gusts, a rocky outcropping flared in and out of existence ahead of her. It might provide some protection from the storm, at least long enough for her to don her fur cloak. Elioth called out for her mother again, desperate to raise her voice above the winds. She had never been sent to the wrong place while transmigrating before. When the magic worked correctly, those being sent always arrived precisely in the same formation they had been in when they left. Though it was rare, it wasn't unheard of for someone to be slightly off the mark and land a short distance away from their fellow travelers. Rumors spoke of people disappearing entirely when the circle's magic went awry, but Katerina had told her that each of those cases, in actuality, were instances of other, human forces at work against an enemy, using the convenient excuse of a scarcely used form of transportation. She staggered toward the collection of boulders to lean into the sloping stone. From behind the slight cover, she peered out at the hazy whiteness and the premature twilight hour. The wall of fallen rocks gave her a respite from the wind, and she drew the fur cloak out of her pack and around her shoulders. The wind picked up as though it was furious at her presence, but the gaps between the drifts revealed the jagged crest of a mountain in the distance. Up above, the rough stone wall beside her stretched far into the sky. It towered over the rival peak, separated by a chasm that gaped between the opposite ridge and where she now stood. Rows of pine trees cross-cut her line of sight and obscured the bluff's lower elevations. Elioth struggled to make sense of what she was seeing. 
Hadvar had been carved into a plateau. Its founders were anxious to ensure a sturdy foundation under which to mine precious gems and metals for untold generations. She was somewhere else entirely. A single mountain range stretched along the spine of Caldara, the Frostmaw Mountains. The tallest mountain, located just beyond Linolin's northern borders, was Torg's Peak. The mountaintop arched far out of sight, so that could be where she was. But if she'd been thrown so off track, where was her mother and the rest of her family? Was Mama the one who had screamed? Even with her cloak, the cold was unbearable. She needed to find more substantial shelter, or her body would slowly stop. After she found cover, she could search the area for her mother. If she had been sent here too, though, she would have been close to Elioth. More likely, Elioth was lost here, alone. Elioth ran her fingers over the lines of her amulet. In Celestial Maps, one of her favorite novels, Diana would carefully observe her environment in case she had missed something at first. That's what she would do. She took a deep breath and surveyed the scene in front of her, noticing an aberration in the rock pattern ahead. A perfectly smooth line ran into the sky, interrupted twenty or thirty feet in the air by a crossbeam. Elioth pressed into the mountain and trod carefully toward the structure. It took several minutes to move through the deep snowbanks and avoid the edges in case there was more loose powder, but she eventually reached an enormous stone pillar, at least ten feet across in diameter. The massive cylinder emerged from the mountain itself, which made navigating around it difficult, but there was an abscess on its other side, possibly a doorway. That would be her best chance at avoiding frostbite. She hugged the pillar and dug her arms and feet as far into the accumulation as possible. The cold burned the side of her cheek and the tip of her ear, but it would be worth it if she could find a respite from the elements. After several minutes of achingly slow progress, she finally reached the other side of the pillar. Her cheek throbbed from the ice and tiny scratches, but the recess was covered and partially dry. Its tall stone ceiling allowed snow to gather along the mountain's edge, but further in, she would be safe from all but the strongest gusts. From inside, the pillar seemed to be part of a doorway, though the other half of it, the pillar's twin, had toppled over into a chamber hidden inside the mountain. The fallen column was nearly horizontal, but it was only lightly covered in frost, unlike its saturated surroundings, which suggested a recent fall. As she ran her hands over it, her intuition coaxed her back to the entryway between the two columns. She had missed something. Her eyes adjusted to the shelter's shade, and a set of carvings emerged from the stone. The runes were in an ancient form of elvish that she couldn't translate perfectly, but from the script that wasn't frosted over, she read, The Lonely Hold, and the sign. Reaching forward, almost as in a dream, Elioth brushed the snow and frost away from the door. The piercing cold had fused the wintry elements to the stone, but as she broke off a chunk of the coating, she saw etchings beneath. Elioth pulled her hand deeper into her sleeve and used the leather armor to scratch at the frozen surface. The out-of-body sensation continued through her newly awakened mystical muscle memory as she carved away the frost. Part of her knew already what she would find though her conscious mind couldn't place it. After a few cold, determined minutes, she stood before a symbol she knew well, an hourglass shape intersecting in a diamond, identical to the one she wore always. Elioth traced the familiar shape and felt the warmth against her chest return as her own amulet responded. She removed the necklace from beneath her armor with her other hand and held it out toward the door. There was a great cracking sound, and the stone in front of her parted along a central seam. It slowly swung open into a receiving room that looked as if it were centuries, if not millennia, old. 
Elioth glanced back to ensure that no other figure had mysteriously appeared behind her before she stepped into the large antechamber. Tendrils of white from the piercing cold stretched across the smooth stone beneath her feet, and the wind howled into the room from above. The ceiling in the first part of the rectangular chamber was twenty feet high and grew taller toward the center. The floor, like the ceiling, had split when the pillar crashed through, dividing the room in two. Part of the pillar leaned against the far wall, and the rest must have fallen below. It left a wide gap between where she stood and the rest of the receiving room. Fading, intricate frescoes drew Elia to a nearby wall. The paintings depicted a great war, with combatants bathed in light, their faces stretched in grimaces of pain and fear, on the run from dark, oppressive hordes. The fleeing figures glanced over their shoulders. Their expressions betrayed the cold knowledge that they would be overtaken. She ran her hands over the textured surface to admire the detail and craftsmanship. Some of the paint contained precious metals. The armor of the heroes and villains alike shone in the snow strewn about the chamber, glinting against the reaches of frost. Among the various groups of humanoids and creatures, black dragons fought alongside demons in strange, monstrous forms she had never before seen. Opposing them, desperately outnumbered, humans, elves, fae, celestial beings, and dwarves made their last stand. The battle looked ancient, epic, and yet she did not know if or when it had occurred. Its tales must have been long since lost to legend, absorbed into indistinct lore. Surely Katarina would have told her about this if she had known, but it looked too tragic to be only from the world of story. Elioth walked away from the images to investigate where the pillar had landed and better understand her surroundings. At least three times the distance between where she currently stood and the ceiling above, she perceived the columns outlined below, resting amid scattered debris in a carved stone cavern. There wasn't anything on this side of the divide that could span the gap to the other side. A cold silver shape gleamed amid the sparkling marble, a grappling hook embedded in the broken floor, holding a length of rope that reached nearly to the bottom. If someone had left the rope here, it must have been strong enough to hold them on their way down. Maybe they were still there, and they could help her, or at least tell her where she was. Besides, the lower chamber would offer shelter while she decided what to do next. There was an alcove on the far side of the receiving room that disappeared into what could only be a set of stairs. If she went down the rope, she could find her way back up, a feat that seemed more promising than being able to span the twenty-foot distance to reach the other side of the chasm in the middle of the room. Before she descended, Elia tested her weight against the rope. She lay on the floor and tugged to see that it stayed fast. Her heartbeat pounded against the confines of her chest as she sat on the edge. She risked certain death if she was wrong about the hook's security and plunged into the stone floor. The end of the rope dangled about ten feet from the floor below, but it seemed near enough that she could safely jump the rest of the way down. After she found the entrance to the stairs on the lower floor, she could climb out of the hole in the ceiling on the opposite end. Whenever soldiers were preparing for a practice duel, Basha told them to inhale deeply and exhale slowly to force a sense of ease. Her own nerves were unconvinced by this tactic, and the pounding migrated to her ears. She reached down to wrap the rope around her wrist, clutched it tightly, and brought her left hand just beneath. On the third audible exhale, she transferred her body weight to her hands and slid her legs and hips over the edge. Hand under hand, she descended. Her arms held her weight, her legs squeezed against a fall. After the first twenty feet, her arms began to flag. Elioth tightened her hold with her legs and stopped her descent. She released her right hand, shook out the tension, and did the same with the left. They wouldn't continue to bear her weight. She needed to rely on her legs and slide the rest of the way down. 
She gritted her teeth and ignored the heat against her breeches. The palms of her hands burned, but she didn't have much farther to go. She could bear it. Her stomach flew into her throat as her legs broke free. Her skin screamed as she caught herself and hugged the rope, dangling freely 15 feet from the ground. Elia panted and her arms shook with fatigue and panic. She only had a few seconds before her body would decide what to do next. No alternative presented itself, and there was a relatively clear spot just below her. She let go of the rope. Thank you so much for joining me for today's adventure through Buried Heroes and the World of Azuria. If you'd like to find out more about me or my fiction, you can find me at bethballbooks.com. You can also find my books worldwide at your favorite bookstore or ask your local librarian to add them to the library catalog. To stay up to date with the world of Azuria and be the first to know about upcoming fiction projects, visit bethballbooks.com join. I would love for you to be a part of my reading community, The Story Enclave, and as a special thanks to you for a limited time, you'll receive a free ebook copy of Aurora when you sign up. If you'd like to connect with me, you can find me on Instagram at bethballauthor or on Twitter at groveguardian, or you can email me beth at bethballbooks.com. Today's episode is sponsored by Story Magic, the newest book in the Age of Azuria series. Story Magic recounts the lore of Azuria, interwoven with the story of one of my favorite characters, Persephone Arell, who we'll meet later in the novel. You can pre-order Story Magic at bethballbooks.com shop or at your favorite bookseller before release on June 1st. And I will say Story Magic is more for after you finish Hedvarian Heist because it recounts some of that story, though it picks up from the end of Buried Heroes, but I would finish Hedvarian Heist first before you read Story Magic. If you enjoyed our time together today and would like to hear more stories set in Azuria, you can support the podcast on Patreon at patreon.com slash groveguardianpress. Look for the Fae and Damon Tears. We return to Buried Heroes on Tuesday, May 18th for Chapter 5. The theme song for this podcast was created by Garrett Rose of The Bardic Inspiration, who you can find on Instagram or Patreon at The Bardic Inspiration. Happy travels, and I hope that we'll be adventuring together again soon.